Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become RapidSOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit RapidSOS.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Hey friends, welcome to episode 19. I'm wicked excited for my guest today, Laurie Anderson. Laurie is the 911 coordinator for Charlotte County Sheriff's Office in Florida. Join us as we chat about the importance of embracing new technology in the 911 center. And furthermore, why we need to train our field responders on it too. We will also discuss the Nina Wellness Committee and Continuum and the updated acute stress standard that is now being called protecting the well-being of the 911 professional. We also talk about how you can get involved and grow your passion. All right, Miss Laurie, thank you so much for joining me. I'm wicked excited to have you here, but you probably knew that because I get wicked excited when I am going to talk about some really cool things with really cool people. So how are you? How are things in your world? I'm good. Everything, everything's going well, and I'm excited to be on here with you. Yay! So I, I was waiting for you to say things are like manageable, you know, versus the Q word, you know, because we don't want to. Oh, no, we don't. We don't say the Q word. Uh uh-uh. we, we don't <laughs> no. want. We don't want any bad juju uh, no. hitting hitting either of our areas. So, yeah. So you and I have had, you know especially over like the last year and a half, you and I have had lots of conversations, lots of awesome conversations. And I love having conversations with you for a couple of reasons. Um, Number one, we are very similar. We're we're very much cut from the same cloth when it comes to a passion for 911 and doing the right things in 911 and getting involved in doing the right things in 911. So before we get started, I just want my audience to get to know you just, you know, a little bit. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, where you are, what position you hold, and then tell us how you got there. Okay. So I am currently the Charlotte County Sheriff's Office County Coordinator in in Charlotte County. And I've been doing this now for nearly 10 years. I believe it's been about 10 years. And prior to that, I worked in the dispatch center starting in 91. I believe it was in 91. And I started off as a telecommunicator, then eventually became a training uh, trainer, then training coordinator, supervisors, you know, working through my rank, through the ranks, and then ended up as the county 911 coordinator. So I've been here a total of about 30 years. Uh, December will be a full 30 years. Wow, and, that's a long yeah. time. <laughs> 
Yeah, but you know what? I, I do. I love this career. I can't imagine myself being anywhere else. This yep. this is where I belong. And and when I first started here, I didn't really know, you know, if this was going to be right for me. But then after getting into it, it's like it, it's my home. It's yes. it, it is where I belong. Um, I am a representative on the state 911 board, and I am a the second VP for Nina. Nice, nice. So we will talk about some Nina stuff um, a little bit later, but I want to kind of dive into to part of your role as the night one coordinator. So when I started Thank with Rabbit SOS, make sure you join back us in next 2016, for another episode. Uh, of I hit the ground running. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't know what we were going to be doing. Difference makers. Uh, but Please I know like that Florida was one of my Facebook first pages stops. On like first I, I just feel Eldridge. like I was, so I was immersed in Florida very quickly. Thank you. Uh, you and I connected very quickly. I remember us, you know, sitting down at one of the Nina conferences. I'm going to assume it was probably 2017. I don't even know where it was because people remember SOS things like that. I remember when the conferences were, where they the were. I've been to too many. <laughs> I can't remember anything, but I, I do know. I remember us sitting down and having like just a really good conversation. And I knew and at that moment that we were going to be, you know, friends and, and professional colleagues, et cetera. But I also knew that uh, Florida was very different than many places in the country where you you had your agencies and you had the the 911 coordinator so what is the role of a 911 coordinator in the state of florida the 911 coordinator is responsible for the 911 system and they take care of all of the the technology aspect of it they monitor the legislative piece of it um they're involved in the funding and you know the budget, uh, everything that has to do with 911 to include policies and standards, and ensuring that um, the telecommunicators or the agencies that are that are uh, working 911 or either are either meeting or exceeding the standards. Great, great. So, would you say that it was like similar to a director, or is there other layers under you that would be like operations? You know, in, in Florida, things are different from county to county. So the role of a 911 coordinator, th that person may be wearing many hats. So oh, gotcha. in some counties, they might be, um, say, a chief of a fire department or, you know, they that that title might be held by somebody else at that at that level. Or they may even be a communications director. Um, sometimes they as a 911 coordinator, that person or, or that title might be held by someone else at, say, the chief's level or at a director's level. Um, but here in the Charlotte County, we do things that we've got a county 911 coordinator and we have a communications director. Gotcha. I can't uh, honestly, I can't imagine anyone trying to uh, manage more than one role. Oh, <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> as a number one coordinator, there's quite a bit of, um, of stuff to do that I can't imagine doing all of it. Well, you know, there are some there are some counties that don't have that that luxury of doing that. You right. have rural counties that have a much smaller workforce and, you know, they have to wear many hats. Gotcha. Uh, we have people that are managing emergency operations and are also the 911 coordinator at the same time. So, wow. you know, it, it's. It, it depends on where you're at, which county, how large that county is, and what resources they have available. 
Gotcha. So um, you guys obviously are doing things a little bit differently, but right for your for for your area. I know in Massachusetts we have like 250 something or 240. I know they're regionalizing individual PSAPs. Uh, they're they're looking to regionalize. They're looking, you know, they're they're trying to get more folks to be in one place uh, for various reasons. Uh, but each each center kind of had their own director, and then the state 911 department here would oversee all of the things that you kind of described as the the 911 coordinator would do. So if it was if it was related to 911 and and there was a technology piece or funding or legislation and all that our state 911 uh, would definitely be involved in that. So what I, I mean, just learning from so many people, there's just so many ways. It's like, if you've been in one 911 center, you've been in one 911 center, right? Right. Well, we have 60, for, there are 67 counties in the state of Florida. So there's one designated 911 coordinator for each county in the state. And then we do have a state 911 coordinator. Awesome. Well, you and I were talking the other day. And so, when I first started with Rapid SOS, as I mentioned, you and I, you know, we connected really early and, and I remember sitting down having the conversation with you about the technology and how it could be beneficial and, and all that. And you were, a, if I remember correctly, you were in the same category as me, as you had heard about Rapid SOS, you had heard about the app thing that they wanted to do. You are not impressed with the app. I, I, I was having heart palpitations. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And uh, I actually shared the other day uh, on my Facebook that uh, I had posted five years ago the other day and it said, do not, it was just a, this random blurb, do not use an app to call 911. That's all I put. Just, just don't use an app to call 911. And I just thought to myself, it was like three weeks after that, Michael Martin showed up in my 911 center from rapid SOS and offered me a job. And I just thought it was hilarious. Cause I'm like, I, I, I don't like what you're doing. And, and many people don't like what you're doing, but then here I come and I'm like, no, no, no. I, I know that you don't like the app and you were pretty adamant. And I'm like, no, no, listen, listen, sister, I'm on the same page as you. Like, no, we don't want the app. We're, we're, we're going to partner with Apple. We're going to partner with Google and we're going to do this. And right from the get go, you were, you are a big fan of the next phase of the rapid SOS journey, getting it into the native dialer on the phone, getting Apple and Google to enable it. So when they call 911, all the location services get turned on and it gets sent to you. And when we rolled out the rapid SOS portal, the web browser, you guys were kind of in the front row. You, you were one of the kind of the, the first folks that, that, took advantage of this. What were you thinking? Like what was going through your mind? Cause we're going to, I'm going to lead into some more technology conversations about some cool stuff that we're seeing happening. But back then four, four and a half years ago, what were you thinking when we were like, yeah, we're going to change this location thing in a big way. Well, it was like the, the door just opened, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, for so many years, you know, when you're working in the dispatch center, you just wish sometimes that you had that crystal ball, 
you yeah. know, that yeah. you want to be able to see things, you want to be able to have as much information as possible. And when you don't have that information uh, available to you, you feel somewhat helpless. Yeah. There had been times where, you know, we couldn't find the person, you know, and then you've dropped off the call and you have absolutely nothing, you know, and you, of course, you exhaust, you know, so much, so many resources is trying to make contact with that individual that just hung up that might be in crisis. So, yep. you know, knowing that we would have better, you know, um, location information was fantastic. Um, today, even what we've got today, people love it. You know, yes. they love the, um, what it's transitioned into since it, you know, since it got started. Um, we are a big fan of it. We use it. We have our, we have our personnel using rapid SOS every single day. So, yeah. um, but no, it was very exciting that it was that this opportunity to have this information available to us was now here. And I think people believe, like, I was I was on the public safety team kind of by myself for a little while. It was it was me and Reinhard Eckel, um, and then we had Keith who was part time, and and that was like a year. And and I was doing a lot of the traveling and and a lot of the advocacy, trying to get folks to kind of buy in, right? Like I always say that I was I was selling a free product that didn't exist yet, and and it was like I was selling <laughs> this invisible stuff. <laughs> Right. Well, when you say free, come on, come on, Tracy, when you say free, it's really hard. I have people today say, asking me, they're like, well, how, how are they doing it for free? I'm like, well, you know, and I go through the process of explaining, you know, the basics of it, but you know, it's hard to get this stuff and, and it's free. <laughs> I know. It's like, what, what's the catch? There's no catch. All right. Well, right. what are the cons? The con is you don't have it yet. Like, like that's it. They like, there's no, there's no con like there there isn't and i just remember um i don't remember where i was and I, I wouldn't throw anybody under the bus either but i just remember i was i was in a 911 center and i was doing a presentation to like a command staff and it was a command staff that uh the sheriff was in charge of the 911 center or somebody like very high up in, in a sheriff's department was and he was standing in the back of the room and he had his arms crossed and i could just his energy was less than favorable and I remember showing one of the first videos that I made of uh, my husband in a boat on our pond and he made a 911 test call and I was, I like, like screen recorded it moving across the screen. And it was like showing the location every few seconds because we were using a testing app at that point just to kind of simulate this is what it's going to do and and you know some folks were like yeah great but then other folks were like yeah i don't i don't believe it till i see it so i remember showing that video of of him on the boat and i was like just think about you know the the profound nature of this technology like if you look at the top of the screen he's going towards Gifford Lane. And it was like, imagine if I was able to tell the responders that there's this huge pond, but your best access is to go down Gifford Lane, right? Versus mm -hmm. just go to the pond and then they right. go in on the other side and now they're in the wrong place, right? right? So I remember him with his arms crossed and he's like, yeah, but can you tell the speed limit? And I just thought to myself, I'm like, uh, no, uh, but we have an estimated speed and he's like well what do you mean and i was like well since we get the location every few seconds it's like big spaces fast little spaces slow like that kind of thing and and i just remember him kind of fighting 
me on it. And, and like, it, it wasn't often that I would get folks that would be resistant. But one of the biggest resistance things that I met was my folks are not going to want to sign into another screen. And I can appreciate that. How did your folks handle that? And how, uh, like, were they resistant? And it's not to throw anybody under the bus or, you know, were they, were they not eagerly ready to jump in or did they see the value right out of the gate? Well, the, the part about signing into another application, always that's a, you know, give somebody a little bit of hesitancy there yes. and our people are absolutely no different. Right. Right. And, so. you know, that's just another screen for somebody to have to look at. Um, but if they've gotten in the habit, one good thing is, is that when, if you can log in, you can stay logged in all day, yep. you know, and, and not be logged out. Um, even better, you know, that's, that's better that they don't have to keep logging in and, um, yeah, having another screen always makes you don't want your operators to have to go and look at way too many things, you know, right. and and divert their attention someplace else. Um, but what we've been seeing is that you know they're keeping it up on their screen. They go back and they they look at it when they need to. Um, it really has not been it's not been a huge problem by the, just keeping it logged in and on the screen all the time. That's and, awesome. and the fact that if you can have all of your data in one space, okay, yep. rather than having to go to a bunch of different places to get it, that's what we want is to have it all in one platform. Right. So, and so with the rapid SOS portal and, you know, like I said, we're going we're to talk about some other cool technology stuff too. With the portal, I rem there were times that folks were like, well, we, we want it all in one place. And, and believe me, if, if it could be all in one place, that would, you know, obviously that would be amazing. Um, but what I also know is there was a shift as soon as somebody had a success with it. Like it, it took them to have that success. Like it helped me find somebody. And then it was almost like, they could trust it. Well, not only trust it, it's like that. Yeah, it's not it's not even really just having that one that the one thing that you be to gain that trust. It's the fact that is it really going to be used that often? Right. You know, right. are we just implementing something just to implement it just to say that we have it? Or is it really going to be useful to us? And, and we have found that um, it has been useful to us awesome. and yeah. Well, especially with tourist areas, right? People don't know where they are. I don't know where I am half the time. I don't know what state I'm in. I, most <laughs> of the time it's state of confusion, but you know, I, I don't always know where I am, but I do know where the rapid SOS technology is. And if God forbid I had an emergency, I could just say, Hey, I don't know where I am, but look at your rapid SOS screen. Right. Right. Um, so they started partnering with all kinds of different people. Uh, I remember Medical Alert was one of the first ones to engage with sending additional data, Uber. Um, and then they partnered with SiriusXM, other alarm companies. So all of this particular data is coming through. And we're going to talk about kind of the data and wellness uh, on the back end of the, the podcast. But then you have companies like what three words coming out. And I know that I've talked about what three words on different podcasts, 
But when I want, when I know that somebody has valuable information to add to the conversation, I will talk about these things all day because I know that they save lives. And I also know that I've seen, and again, I don't want to keep going back to that resistance because thousands of people were, were, were welcoming to this, like, oh, you can get us a location. Great. And then they were open arms, but every once in a while we would have these folks that were just, you know, a little bit resistance. And then it was, well, how much data can you have? Right. And, and my response to that was always not every one of the systems works with every situation and scenario. And then here comes what three words. And at first, whenever I would see somebody talking about location and public safety, uh, my, my, you know, sixth sense would go up and be like, are you trying to do what we're doing? And now I'm going to have to kind of not compete, but, or are, are you going to compliment? And I'm talking milliseconds before I realized that what three words was going to compliment the rapid right. SOS. They're tools. They're, they're all, all of these different things are tools in the toolbox. So you have to know when is the most appropriate time to use that specific tool. You're not going to use that tool for every single event, every single instance. Yep. So therefore you have to understand what you have available to you. And then when it's the right time, you choose that correct tool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree 100%. And I, in my mind, if I was still in the center, I'd be like, I want all the tools and then we're going to, we're going to train on all the tools on a regular basis because what i know is there are tools in the toolbox that may sit in the toolbox because they never had the opportunity to come out and be used and then we can get complacent or not remember that tool is in the toolbox so you and i were talking a few weeks ago and we were talking about the what three words and you were talking and, and you just whatever it was you made a statement about getting your field responders the fire EMS, the folks that are responding physically to the scene, refreshed on location information, phase one, phase two, rapid SOS, what three words. Can you tell me a little bit about that initiative and your thought process behind it and, and the importance of making sure that the folks in the field are aware of the words that are coming out of your communication center? Well, so that they have, you know, it's important for our field responders or all real field responders to understand what tools those communications operators and telecommunicators have available to them. Yep. And so that they understand um, the import, the validity of them and how accurate some of this information is. Um, you know, early on when we were dealing primarily with phase one and phase two with cellular technology, we wanted the field responders to have an understanding of that technology so that they could understand when a telecommunicator talked to them and they said, what well, was provided by phase two location from their cell phone. Well, the field responders need to have an understanding so that they're not just thinking, well, what does that mean to me? You know, right, right, <laughs> that they right. know what their telecommunicators are talking about. Yep. So right now um, we're in the process of putting together all of our information about rapid SOS and these connected companies that are dealing with rapid SOS and providing information so that the field responders is that, that, that they understand where that information is coming from, how the communications, you know, got that information in the first place. Right. And, and how, 
accurate or inaccurate that information may or may not be. Right. So, um, but they all need to have a basic understanding of where that information comes from. In addition, they can help us. Um, the, the field responders can help us. Like people in in nine one one coordinators positions, we're also responsible for public education. We do the nine one one public education with our community, and so when it comes to things like the um, medical ID information or the emergencyprofile.org they are constantly in contact with the community so they can help us get that word out there that hey this is this is available this is what we have either contact our you know county 911 coordinator and they can provide more information or they can provide that information as well right so, and i think that i think that education piece is huge because i i when i go back i don't think i did a good enough job with that I, I, I honestly, I think we just assumed, I think we assumed that our field responders learned about it, like the police side learned about it in the academy, but they didn't. Too many times we don't actually utilize those tools. And I'm, I'll just give you an example is, uh, in one of the training classes that I do, I talk about um, the confidence and uncertainty. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, reviving it. I'm, I'm kind of giving life back to it because there are a lot of centers. There are a lot of telecommunicators that are like, all right, in baby dispatcher school, here's the confidence and uncertainty. And that's it. That, that That's all they ever do with it. They never look at it again. They don't care about it. They don't utilize it. But I think that if we got better at educating our field responders to actually let them know when I dispatch you and, and, and you come back and you say it's unfounded, well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to give you more information. Now I'm going to, I'm going to generalize it. I'm going to give you, you know, New Bedford road near the Christmas tree farm. But then if I have to, if I have to give you more information, if I have to give you a latitude and longitude, are you in the vehicle prepared to put that somewhere? Because sometimes we have to peel off more layers, right? We have to mm -hmm. go a little bit deeper, but I think for, for so long, we've just, we've just gone to one layer and it's, it's either this is the area and that's where we settle, or it's a phase one call or it's a phase two call. And I think that's kind of where many places stopped. And, and when you told me that you were putting together these materials, number one, I gave you mad props because in the classes that I'm doing, I'm, I'm really reiterating the fact that there's agencies out there that have implemented rapid SOS that have not even told their field responders. And if you're not well, telling them what it is, how, how are they going to know? How, how are they going to know how, how awesome it is? Right. And then the attention is to first give them the materials and explain it, you know, uh, through, we'd use power DMS here. So yep. we'll, we'll put out that information through power DMS. And then we're going to go and touch base at every single roll call and do a demonstration so they can see exactly what our telecommunicators are working with. I love, 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 love that. Like I can't even, that's what, and as soon as you said that, I'm like, Oh, I, um, yeah, I need to get you on the podcast for a few reasons. <laughs> and this being one of them, we have to change something. I'm I'm working with the city of Cincinnati and the Plush family for you know the incident that happened in Cincinnati with Kyle Plush and one of the things that that we did learn is when the 
dispatcher relayed to the officer that there was a phase two location available, the officers didn't necessarily understand what a phase two location meant. And, you know, when I go back and we can Monday morning quarterback things all the time, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. But when the plush family had asked me, you know, in one of our conversations, like, why didn't the dispatcher give them the latitude and longitude? I was dumbfounded. I, I was like, because, uh, because, because, because we don't really do that. And where would they put it? Right. You know, where would, where would they be? They'd have to um, understand, even if we gave them that latitude and longitude, that they'd have to input that someplace, right? Whether it be a laptop, whether it be their, you know, a cellular device, whatever. Um, but that latitude, longitude also, you know, hopefully the telecommunicator can provide a location, an estimated location based on that information that, that displays on a map. Right. So you're still relaying that information, even though you don't reload, relay those specific string of numbers. Right. And, and okay, now you have the string. Of, so I had to explain that to them, you know, one, we just, we're just not in the habit of giving the latitude and longitude. And number two, even if they did, the officers wouldn't necessarily have a place to put it. And then the a follow-up question was where the, the understanding of the lay person, and I'm going to take, even take the plush family and that incident out of here is the lay person assumes that that police officer or that firefighter or EMT has all the tools that they have as, as a civilian person. So, so why wouldn't they use their cell phone to just kind of Google the address. But again, it's like, number one, they're probably not going to use their own personal cell phone to, to do their, their work. Right. Um, right. But what that did, what that conversation did for me was it opened up my span of education. And I make sure that in all my training sessions, when the opportunity arises, I talk about, okay, maybe today, your officers don't have a place to put a latitude and longitude, but how about tomorrow we drive change to give them the tools in the field and figure out a way for them to have the, the tools in the field. So we're driving change by doing those things and you're driving change by, by doing this. And like I said, mad props, mad props. There are always obstacles that you have to, you know, get past, but eventually we're going to get there. Yeah. Yeah. And in some of those obstacles are financial too, right? So if, if in your mind you say, you know what, we, we think it's going to be valuable for these officers in the field or firefighters and EMTs to have access to the rapid SOS portal or to have the ability to, uh, put the three words from what three words into an iPad, into a department phone. Yes, there is going to be a cost with it but can you put a value on somebody's life, right? So you guys, so have you officially rolled out a what three words, like education and training? Because I know that they just recently uh, partnered with Rapid SOS and in the portal, they're getting those three words. I think as a first, as a field responder, those words could be very beneficial to me if if I had the app and I could, if if the telecommunicator told me what the three words were and what three words, and I could give that to my field responders and they could put that in something. Are you guys utilizing it? Have you utilized it? Not yet. Okay. We're working on it right now because we're awesome. trying to figure out, we're trying to work through those, those obstacles of yeah. personal cell phones or, or, you know, personal 
devices versus a uh, one that's supplied by your organization and, you know, requiring somebody to download certain apps or these tools and then, you know, that type of thing. So those are some of the obstacles that we're working around right now. And once we get that worked out, I mean, the training material is already there. It's ready to go once we, and each agency is going to have to come up with their own policy on how they're going to work with these. And and what three words isn't the only one out there. As we move forward, there's going to be all kinds of apps that are going to be another tool in the toolbox. So, you know, this might just be the first step of it. But what's going to come down, you know, uh, down the path? Yeah. So one one of the things. So Dan Wright and I did um, a a podcast, and we talked about uh, when Hurricane Sally came through, and 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 then we did a couple of sessions on virtual conferences, and and it kind of grew from there. But we were talking about some of the different capabilities. So obviously the portal, then what three words? But then there's Google Plus codes. Have you heard about that yet? No, I have not. Yeah. So here's what I'm going to share about the Google Plus codes is very similar to what three words, right? And what it does is is it does very similar. It takes a small geographic location. So what three words is like a 10 by 10 square. Uh, I don't know. I haven't put a ton of investigation on the on the Google Plus codes. But what I know on the surface level is it too has divided the world into small areas. Uh, and it, uh, a phone, your, your phone, Google maps, uh, on your computer, there is a way for you to access a Google plus code. The difference between what three words and Google plus codes is Google plus codes is a bunch of letters and numbers, which can be challenging, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like capital R lowercase I one capital P right. lowercase I. And, and to me, that's a little challenging but I still think it's important to train our folks on it because you're gonna get the person. So guess what? I'm an Apple girl. I do everything Apple. I got my Mac, I got my iPad, I got my iPhone. I, I'm all Apple, but there are people that are the same with Google, right? Right. So they know everything about Google and that might be the person that calls you and says, I don't know where I am. And for whatever reason, the rapid SOS isn't showing, they got phase one and you know, they, they don't have the access to get what three words and maybe Google plus codes is the only way they, they can translate that location to you. So they got to at least know about it, right. That it's coming and that this is what it is. Well, at a minimum, we need to try to investigate the different ways that uh, our citizens or our callers are going to be providing us information, Yes, you know, so that we know what's happening. Uh, you know, I'll get stuff, uh, inquiries from telecommunicators that they don't quite understand how something showed up the way that it did. Right. So we do that little investigation to kind of figure it out. And then we share that information yep. just in case it happens again, yep. at least somebody will have that, um, that knowledge on exactly how that happened, you know? Yeah, like I, and that, one of the things that comes to mind for me is Northern 911. Mm. So oh, my, yes. my dispatcher, right before I left, two in like a 10 day period, hi, this is this is operator so-and-so from Northern 911. And my dispatcher's like, who, from where? Like, how, why am I getting this call? And what we identified in those two particular calls was, um, one of them was a VoIP call where the person had a uh, a VoIP phone in their house and their work main campus was like an hour and a half away. 
but the address on their VoIP phone that they used for work was contradicting the address where they were located. And the other one was um, a T-Mobile cell call and the guy hit a deer out in front of his house and he pulled back in the driveway and he went in the house and he called 911 from his cell phone. But when he walked into the house, it picked up his connection for Wi-Fi dialing. And that call went to Northern 911 because the phone wasn't provisioned correctly. So here is my um, summary of what Northern 911, for those that haven't heard of it, it's a PSAP in Canada that is the land of the misfit 911 calls from here in the US. So if the call doesn't know where to go, if it's confused, if there's a problem in the system, it's gonna bounce there. So just as you were saying, if it came in hooky, weird, we gotta figure out why and, and, and what it, it potentially looks like, right? right. Um, the other thing is, is really sharing with folks the different ways that they can utilize that. So with what three words, I'm always about trying to find those use cases, right? And one of the things that I really advocate for, for what three words, is once you've established the ability to send out the link, so there's a, there's a specific public safety link that you get from what three words, contact Ashley at what three words, when you have the ability to take that link and shoot it out to somebody via a text, this is gonna be beneficial for the landline calls, right? Because right. we know Rapid SOS works on 911 calls. And what's the next question everybody asks? Well, does it work on landline calls? Unfortunately, it doesn't. But guess what? Here's that next tool in the toolbox that right. can. Right? Right? Yeah. Now, on to a piece of the wellness stuff. So I had mentioned before, we talk about all this data coming in. Our folks are nervous, rightfully so, with being able to receive videos and, you know, I, I haven't heard necessarily that folks are going to be face to face talking to somebody. I know that there's a fear of that. I would be afraid of that. Um, but have you guys put anything in place in your center where you're capable of receiving any type of video from from a caller? No, we have not. We have not done that yet. Um, we are working with a company to potentially do a 30 day trial okay. to see how that works. And um, we're going to test it out. You yeah. know, it, we know that all of this is coming. You know, yeah. it's we're seeing centers adopting these practices more and more often. And, you know, it, we want to also start seeing some more of the use cases, yes. you know, and some of those um, success stories, yep. you know, to, to prove a point, to, to show how, how this information can be useful in our center. But and yeah, think, we're working with a company on a 30 day, on a potential 30 day trial. And I think, and that's awesome. Um, I do think trying it is, is definitely worth it. And what I also know is I think a lot of times the telecommunicators, there's, there's a fear of the unknown, right? Like, yes. How much is this going to be utilized? How am I going to, am I going to be inundated with this information? Is it going to be overwhelming? Um, and then it goes to the next piece of, of not so much just what they're seeing and bringing in. It's now I have to make sure that my quality assurance program is up to snuff because it doesn't do my staff any good if 
whoever's in charge of the quality assurance is really far behind. And then now they're receiving this video information. They see something horrific and eight months later, it gets QA'd and they realize, oh my God, they saw something really bad. And now they're going back and being like, oh, well, eight, eight months ago, you, you took a really bad video. Uh, are you okay? Like, so I think all right. of the pieces, you know, have to be looked at is, is that it's, it's almost like a chain, like a snowball effect, right? Like if we're going to entertain this technology, if we're going to bring it in one, we got to do it the right way. Can't overwhelm them. Number two, we got to make sure we have provisions in place to be checking in on our people and making sure that they're okay with all of, of that data. Would you say your folks are receptive to, to, to seeing this stuff? Is it like 50, 50? Are they hell no? Absolutely. I'd say that they're probably, I'd say that they're probably all over the place. And even when I first started this, I mean, if I wanted to be, this was my thought, you know, if I wanted to see this kind of stuff, I'd be out in the field. I'd be, (laughs) you know, so there may be some people out there that don't want to see it. And therefore you're going to have to establish those, those practices and policies and, and who's going to see it and what the state, when they do see it, what are they going to do with it? Um, Are they, you know, for mental health, you know, for the mental health aspect of it, there's a whole process that would need to be followed, you know, ongoing, but then there's also the public records, you know, how do you redact it? How long do you save it? You know, there's that, aspect of it. Yeah. Um, there's the whole storage piece of it. How long do you keep it? And so. Yeah. I mean, there, there are so many pieces that go along with it. And, you know, I'm excited that the conversations are starting to take place. I'm a little nervous for, for our folks. You know, you know that I have a soft spot for mental health and wellness in the 9 space. And one of the things that when I was with Rapid SOS, you know, I thought when I first signed on for this thing, it was location right? Like it was like, oh, we're going to, we're going to give them location. I'm like, well, that's wicked awesome. And then it was like, all right, now we're going to start providing data. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I, I, I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, but, but let's look at this logically and let's look at the places where it could be beneficial. But if, but if we're going to do this, we have to do it the right way. And one of the things that rapid SOS was really supportive of with me was allowing me to play that dual role of, you know, public safety community engagement manager for the rapid SOS products, but also um, an advocate for mental health and wellness. And that included, you know, joining committees and speaking nationally. And I mean, they supported those things. So that's what you want in a, in a company that's going to consider, you know, offering any type of, of additional data is, is their commitment to the telecommunicator, that frontline person that's going to be taking it. And now speaking of wellness, see how, see what I did there. I just, (laughs) nice transition. I just, I just, I just rolled right (laughs) on in there. So at the beginning of the podcast, when you were introducing yourself, you talked about your role on the national Nina board. Tell us a little bit about your position, what, you know, what, what position it is, what, what you're doing with them. And then I'll, I'll talk about how you roped me into being a co-chair of a committee. (laughs) So currently I'm the, um, the Nina's second vice president soon to transition into the vice president role, which, you know, I'm very excited to be going to the conference coming up. So, and actually seeing people in person, it's going to be fantastic. So I can't wait. I can't wait. Yes. Very excited. But, um, you know, prior to that, I, I had been working with the DSC as the wellness co-chair along with Chris Fisher and, 
we had the responsibility of developing or, or starting up these work groups. And, and when we first started, it was, I mean, it was like really thrown at us and it was like, all right, well, what do we do? <laughs> what right. are we doing? And it took us a little while to regroup. We weren't, we weren't really sure if we should be having, um, you know, how we were supposed to go about it. And so when we did, and we said, Hey, you know what, we're going to start this wellness, this wellness group. And we invited people to participate. We had such an <laughs> overwhelming response to that, that we actually had to kind of scale back a little bit and really rethink what we were doing. Yep. So um, obviously there's so many people out there right now that are so interested in it and it's been long overdue, you know, long overdue 100%. that there's, um, that the mental health and well-being of our telecommunicators is really being focused on, you know. Yep. So thank goodness for that, that the, that it's being done. But so so in that whole wellness group, um, there had already been an existing standard for the, you know, the acute stress standard. And that's where you came in, Tracy. <laughs> so obviously that's um when we first looked at that standard, there was clearly so much more that needed to be added to that standard. Yeah. And like, sleep, some like, of the, like, like obesity and sleep deprivation. Right. And, and, <laughs> and how some of this technology that's happening now is going to be changing, um, or, or it would overall have an effect on that standard. And, and obviously it would need to be changed. Yep. So uh, Jim Marshall, who had originally participated in that, the first, round of that standard um, is now the co-chair along with you. And you've been just plugging away, getting this standard updated. And, and you guys really have done an outstanding job and in getting it done. It takes a long time. It and does. it's not the whole thing is not an easy process. And you have to, there's just so much to keep track of. So there is, there is. And so I remember we were at the standards best practice in Austin. I think it was at the beginning of 2020, right before the world shut down. And, mm -hmm. um, and you had pulled me aside and you're like, Hey, you and Chris, you're like, we, we think you should be a co-chair. And I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I've, I've never done this before. And you're like, yep, neither do we. So we're just going to wing this thing. Um, <laughs> And then Jim and I plugged away. The, the saving grace that I had was that Jim had done this process before. So, so there were places what Jim and I realized working together. And there's a reason why I'm saying this is what Jim and I realized working together is that there were things that he was really good at. And then there were things that I was really good at. And then there were things that, you know, when we came together, we were able and we learned like, you know, Nina has everything has a process and, and has things in place. And it just it took some time to to get it off the ground to get into a flow. Uh, but we just we just offered it up to the what is it the, the DSC? That's it. The right? DSC, the Development Steering Council. Yeah. So we just offered it up through the process um, for it to move and, and become an ANSI standard. And I, there are times I'm not going to lie. I wanted to pull my hair out because <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. I was confused. I was frustrated, but I am honored and I feel amazing. And I know I'm speaking for Jim when we say this is that we just changed that standard. So it was the acute stress standard. It is now the name of it is protect the well-being of the 911 professional.
And that includes everybody, right? It's not just the 9-1 telecommunicator, it's the 9-1 professional, because there are a lot of folks that live in our centers that are not necessarily telecommunicators, right? Um, right. So we added so many things. We had so many, just like you said, we had so many passionate people uh, that wanted to participate, but we also know that there were lives and there was COVID. And uh, I went through a ton of stuff at the beginning of the year and, you know, it held and then we'd ramp up again. And the reason why I'm sharing that story is because I learned a ton. I learned so much. I learned the dedication and the passion that Nina has for this industry. I learned the inner workings behind the scenes and how things happen, that they don't just bloop, appear there, right? That there's right. tons of hardworking professionals behind the scenes. And I want folks to get involved. I want more folks to get involved. So um, there's, there's still committees that are there under the wellness, but there's other committees too, right? It's, it's, it's not mm -hmm. just, it's not just the wellness committees, right? It's, right. There's, there's technology committees, there's, there's, you know, operations committees, there's, there's all kinds of committees that folks can get involved in and you give what you can. And when it's done and you look at that standard, it's like, yeah, I, I made it, I made a difference. So, well, we need people at different levels and different areas of expertise yep. to, you know, to participate and provide their perspective. It's, it, it, you know, you really have to have a whole bunch of people involved in the process um, to make sure that that information really meets everyone's needs. Yep. So, and then I, I really encourage people to be involved. And just like you said, you learned an awful lot. That's usually the way I learn is yeah. by getting involved. I may not know a whole lot when you you know first start, and it may be a little bit intimidating. But the longer you're in it, you start learning from other people. And and I had um, one of the things I had one of the committees that I had been involved in before was with it was the um, next gen education group yeah. and with with sherry powell uh sherry griffith powell and sonia clausen and you know what they have been fantastic and they taught me an awful lot and that was the first experience that i had had with the working groups yep and like i said i i was privileged to be on that on that working group and i learned an awful lot from it and then the next step was when someone had asked me to co-chair the wellness group Yep. And then, so the wellness continuum on the Nina website. So if you go to Nina.org under programs, there is a wellness continuum. Um, and that's, that's more of a, you know, for the, for the entire existence, can you talk a little bit about the, the goal and, and what the vision for the continuum is? Well, the wellness continuum, this this microsite here as part of the Nina.org site allows it gives provides resources to anyone and everyone. It doesn't. You don't have to be a Nina member to um, to, to uh, access these resources. So, if you are interested in physical health, you can go onto the continuum and you can look up physical health on here, and you can find articles and and uh, suggested readings and that type of stuff. Things that pertain to physical health, um, and. and then there's the mental health and, you know, just it's, you've got some website resources and, but again, you don't have to be a member of Nina and you don't have to be just a telecommunicator, right? You can be, you can be from any part of the 911 community and, um, 
access these resources. I think it was an amazing experience and I, I would I would love for others to experience that as well. So uh, let me let me publicly thank you and and Chris uh, for guiding us through this process. Uh, and then you bailed. So you wrote me in and then you bail. <laughs> Uh, and you and you go moving up into the executive board, uh, but Roxanne, actually, uh, let me just say this: I stepped into the co-chair for the wellness committee for about thirty seconds, and the reason why I didn't last there is because I had to learn the power of saying no, because too many things on the plate. Right? I didn't want to take away from the work that I was doing on the standard to try to bite off another large portion, but but uh, portion. But Roxanne Vandy has stepped up and she, her, she's working with Chris on the on the wellness committee. And, and there's so many amazing things that are happening. So uh, just a few weeks, you'll be moving up to to the vice president role, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and sometimes all of it, everything that you're doing, you know, you you want to be so involved in and to be able to do everything. And sometimes it's sometimes it becomes a little bit overwhelming. Yep. So, yeah, kudos to you that you can recognize the fact that, you know, sometimes you just need to say no. Oh, yeah, it has not been easy. I will I will tell you that. And if uh, if you want to hear about Ann Camaro and I and the power of saying no, uh, the episode that I just released, episode 17, we talk about that because both of us do just that. It's, it's not that we want to be involved in everything because we want to be, you know, we want to be the center of attention. It's we really feel that we have value to add somewhere. Uh, but sometimes we try to add value in too many places and then it actually takes away from one of the places. So I, I recognize that very quickly. Uh, there was a lot to, to bite off. But if anyone is looking to get involved at, at a higher level, and again, this this isn't something that you have to go by your 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 boss for if if you want to get involved in committees you guys can do that i think folks may not know they're out there jump on the websites find the areas that intrigue you and and just jump on a group sit there and listen the other thing that i did recently is i started an enp study group i had talked about getting my enp for years and years and years and finally I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop talking about it. I'm going to do it. I studied. I got myself through it. I took the test in February. I passed. And I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a study group. And there's plenty of study groups out there. I know Florida has one. Mission Critical has one. Um, Colorado Resource has some recordings on there. I think Texas has one. And if I'm missing one, I, I'm sorry. But I encourage you to take them all because right. everybody's going to everybody's going to explain the information just a little bit differently. And if there's something that you don't understand, maybe somebody goes a little bit further into it. As a matter of fact, though, even with your um, ENP study group, got some good feedback from one of your one of your participants. Oh, so, thank you. Doing a good job. Thank you. That makes me happy. Laurie, thank you so much for, for joining me. I know you're super busy. We're all super busy, but I just, I think that the information that we shared today is going to be really helpful for somebody. And, and there's going to be one place where it's something's going to connect and, and these conversations could change or save a life. So. Well, I appreciate you reaching out to me to be on your podcast. We'll, we'll come, we'll come back around once you get that education and training rolled out to your, your field responders and see how they received it. And, uh, and maybe you can bring one of your guys on from the field and he can talk about, you know, how much they appreciate that. 
Okay. That'd be great. Of what you're doing. All right, That'd my friend. Well, keep it manageable and I will see you in a few weeks. Thanks, Tracy. Take care. Thank you for listening. Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes, from the bottom of my blessed heart. Stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on Rapid SOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit rapidsos.com today.